but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome to the Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. We are here to recap the 2018 women's tennis season. It's been over for a minute, but we kind of uh, lost track of time. Well, not so much. I mean, stuff was going on. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we're in a good place to do it now. It feels right to me. I don't, I, oh, I don't it know. Does. It does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to catch your breath at the end of the season. Between yeah. Davis Cup uh, then the Gimmel stop stuff, like the tennis news cycle hasn't really slowed down since the season ended. Uh, we're going to save the Gimmel stop stuff for our next episode because I want to give the women their full due. Yeah, this is a woman-only episode. In doing the research for this episode, was there anything that surprised you or stuck out? Going back, combing through the agendas. I know you went through all of our agendas for the entire year. Yeah. I don't even remember how many episodes we've had this year. 40, maybe? It'll be close to 40, yeah. give or take one or two. There was a ton of stuff that surprised me. A lot of stuff that I didn't remember. For some reason, I can't... Like, when people tell me what are my top matches of the year, I cannot even remember one. Like, there's something wrong with me. I can't... I forgot that um, Coco Vandeweghe goaded for a moment at Stuttgart on clay. Mm-hmm. I forgot that Barty and Sabalenka met very, very early in the season, and it was kind of a, a harbinger of what was to come later on. In a more meta sense, the thing that surprised me was I have written down on the agenda here the structure of the WTA tournaments in terms of the four Grand Slams being the biggest, and of course then you have the WTA finals, and then you have the Premier Mandatories, Premier Fives, and the Premier Events, and I have listed who won each one. And it mm. really kind of puts into perspective, for me at least, the hierarchy of these events. This doesn't even account for the internationals. Obviously, we know that four different women won the four majors this year, three of them first-time Grand Slam champions. But then you look at the Premier Mandatories and the Premier Fives, and we have actually nine different winners out of those combined 13 events. The money and the points were spread very wide this year. Then you look down at the premier tournaments and we get up to 11 different or up to 12 different players. So as far as narratives go for the WTA season, absolutely the one that stood out was spreading the wealth. Yes, parity. And then you have people like Serena and Venus Williams, Maria Sharapova, Victoria Azarenka, who didn't even win titles between them, but they're still in the conversation. And in the conversation for 2019. Yes. So I, I don't know what our preview episode is going to look like for next year. <laughs> but 2019 could be wild. So let's quickly go through the winners. The slam winners, Australia was Wozniacki. She was able to get that Grand Slam at long last. The thing that was really missing from her resume, she'd done damn near everything mm -hmm. up to that point. And for somebody like her... Even for us, we probably felt that maybe her time had passed. Possibly. It wouldn't have been surprising in 2018 if she would go on to retire without having won a slam. Right. And she was able to do that. So big kudos to her. At the French Open, Simona Halep rewrote the narrative of her career thus far and stemmed the tide of Sloane Stevens. 
to get her first slam title. And then at Wimbledon, we saw the comeback queen of 2018. Oh, did she get your vote? Angelique uh, Kerber? <laughs> she did not. Oh, but <laughs> it's such a fitting narrative for her. It's great because she had such a demoralizing 2017, but she didn't drop that far in the rankings by by today's standards. You know, now we're seeing players in the 200s and 300s come back to the top 10. Kerber was a solid 20-something player, but she had reached such heights in 2016. But it was important for the narrative arc of her career. Maybe it's not important to her, who knows, to, to buck the idea that she was, even though she won two, that it was a, a blip. Right. You know, like to Imagine. be able to come back and do it. And the way she did it against Serena Wimbledon was mighty impressive. And people are still saying that there are asterisks on her career. Imagine being a three-slam wonder. Like, no no one-hit wonder. She's got three now. Uh, and then Naomi Osaka, much documented, won the U.S. Open in a wild, controversial final. But in the midst of all that, played stunning tennis right. from start to finish. And she has arrived. She did that. That'll be a theme of these recap episodes. They did that. You know, like some really impressive performances and achievements that we want to highlight throughout the course of these next two episodes. On the premier mandatory level, Indian Wells, Naomi Osaka again. That was her first title of her career. A big title. Mm. Sloane Stevens, after starting the year losing everything, <laughs> as she did at the end of 2017, she kept telling us, don't worry, guys, I'm going to win again. And she did. <laughs> In Madrid, Petra Kvitova, she blitzed through the first half of the season, winning five tournaments, led the tour with five titles. She won on the clay in Madrid. In Beijing, Caroline Wozniacki, she won. Just when you thought you'd heard the last of her in 2018, she was like, hello, I'm still here. I was surprised by that win. I feel like Osaka and Stevens' twin wins in the Sunshine Double are such a sign of what's to come. They stormed through some really tough draws. They played their signature games. And I think that Sloan and Osaka could be at the top of the game for a very long time. I don't think that's really a bad thing. Nor do I think it's an outlandish thing. No. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> now on the Premier 5 level, Patrick Vidova won in Doha. Svitolina won again in Rome. Simona Halep won Montreal in what many feel is the match of the year, that final against Sloane Stevens that lasted forever. We were on the ground in Cincinnati when it was happening. Right. It Do was, you remember that? It was hard to like switch, you know, in between watching what was live in person and this woman's final, but the entire press room was glued to their TVs for the final. Kiki Burton's won in that tournament in Cincinnati, beating a very tired Simona Halep, but she surely did that. There, there are no asterisks on that title for certainly her. Certainly one of the big breakthroughs of the year. Mm -hmm. Quite a few players had breakthroughs. Kiki Burton's did that. She was considered a clay court specialist. Serena Williams beat her at Indian Wells extremely out of shape in March. But Kiki showed herself to be uh, someone who can compete for some of the big titles. And she was down in that final, if you remember, and it didn't look yes. good for a little while. It looked and really bad. she turned that Titanic back around. Do you remember the reference now? Oh, right. The Shania Twain or something? <laughs> no, Amy, Amy Grant. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, over in Wuhan, Arena Sabalenka, who, by the way, was my pick for Breakout Player of the Year. I know it wasn't too much of a stretch, but I still want to hang my hat on that. Hey, she was ranked 70-something at the end of last year. Mm -hmm. 
kudos to Simona Halep in that hardcore stretch, though, because she was vying to achieve something that hadn't been achieved since the, what, early 70s, winning Canada and Cincinnati back-to-back, and she came right. so close. I just do feel that maybe pushing herself so much doomed the rest of her season. And I can't say that for certain, but we have the lost the loss in the first round to Kanepi at the US Open. And then really just going away because of that back injury. So I do wish maybe oh, like the fight was great to watch, but maybe she should have just taken a little break. This is her game. I know, I know. She started the year going the distance against <laughs> Lauren Davis in Australia. You 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 called her fighter girl earlier in the right. season. Right. Well, that's what she calls herself. Oh, I didn't even know that. See, I just picture Skater Girl. Or that's all I, I know, hear. I know that's in my exactly head. what I thought when I heard it. I mean, she starts the year with these long, drawn-out physical affairs in Australia, and it sets the tone for the rest of the season. Right. It's it's natural that by the time you get to the end or the middle of the the season, and then the midst of the hard court slog, that your body's gonna kind of break down. Now, over in the premier level, Svitolina won a few. She won Brisbane and Dubai. Angelique Kerber announced her her 2018 in Sydney very early on. Mm-hmm. Went on to reach the semifinals at Australia and played an absolute classic of a match, in my mind, against Simona Halep. Played my match of the year. You were sleeping for that one. I was up glued to my TV. Well, I had just... to watch the replay. I was in disbelief at what I was watching in that <laughs> match. I, like you, struggle to remember the minutiae of tennis seasons. Right. But this one is firmly emblazoned in my mind, as mm. Mariah would say. <laughs> That's a, a good verb. <laughs> Petrik Vidova, of her five titles, she also won in Birmingham on the grass and St. Petersburg. Defended in Birmingham. Kiki Burton's won Charleston. Pliskova won Stuttgart. Uh, Wozniacki won a grass title in Eastbourne. Like, she had a... Just a really unusual and kind of exciting year, Carolyn mm-hmm. Wozniacki. She showed up where you didn't quite expect. That was definitely one of the titles looking back on the season. I was like, oh. It's like, oh, oh, right. I kind of forgot about that. And that was surprising then and surprising now. Buzarnescu winning San Jose and unfortunately having to sit out much of the second half of the season after getting into seeding territory at the U.S. Open. Sabalenka won New Haven before the U.S. Open. Uh, Pliskova also won Tokyo. And then we had Kazatkina winning Moscow right at the end there. Which was won by Elena Svitolina. And then the final event of the season, Ashbari. (laughs) (laughs) She wins in Zhuhai at the WTA Elite Trophy. So those are your your main winners in a nutshell. We miss, because we didn't talk about internationals, Elise Mertens won three titles too. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of doubles titles. And by the way, her and Demi Shores have broken up for the new year. Did you know that? I did not because know that. Because Mertens wants to focus on her singles career. And Demi Shores, do you know who she's partnering with? Letitia? Bethany Maddox-Sands. Oh, mm-hmm. that, that, that will be uh, quite the formidable well, duo. Because Colleen has a very successful partnership with Ash Barty now. And Lucy obviously has retired. Do you know what was fun? Hmm. Looking up how to pronounce Demi's name for this episode. Oh, did I do I, it wrong? I mean, that's the layperson English pronunciation. Dutch, I feel, is really hard. It It is. I don't mean this to be offensive. Mm. It is wild. <laughs> like, there's so much going on in the middle of that last name. Oh, so many apologies to our Dutch so listeners. Many, so many. I I played it like 10 times. It's like, I, I really am trying here. Mm-hmm. Hashtag ignorant, I guess. Uh, yeah. Wear that with honor. 
Most titles on the season, we said Petra Kvitova. She won five, all before the end of July. Number four, well, not number four, the person at number two with four, you know off the top of your head? Well, it's, it's right here. <laughs> it's not really fair. Elena Svitolina won four titles. Uh-huh. And then three pl- or four players won three titles. So Simona Halep, Wozniaczka, Burtons, and Mertens. Mm-hmm. And of the top two title winners, neither of them won slams. Neither of them actually did very well in the slams at all. And the parity at the top of the women's game in terms of winning titles made it very difficult for a lot of folks to pick a player of the year. For my mind, it was always going to be Simona. Not, notwithstanding, yeah. not having played a lot of the final tournaments. But, you know, her achievements were a standout for me this year, cumulatively. Yeah. I mean, the weeks at number one, the title at Roland Garros, the final in the Australian Open... The Montreal title, I feel like, you know, maybe there's an argument for Naomi Osaka as well. But I think like the sustained excellence from Simona, aside from little spots here and there, is pushes her over the top. One of our listeners asked us to go back and look at our top 10 predictions at the start of the year and see how we did. And uh, mm-hmm. we were about 60% good in terms of we both got 6 out of 10 right. Uh-huh. I'm not sure that that's good per se. I feel like... Well, I think it's pretty good. I will I feel just like say you're allowed to get maybe too wrong. I will just say that some of my predictions were like wildly wrong. Mm-hmm. Even, Such as our choices were quite similar as usual. We clearly spend way too much time together. We each got six right out of the ten. My misses were Venus and Serena. Um, I guess it was a long shot. Venus finished at number thirty-eight, which is like shocking. It's kind of miraculous. Well, it is because she had, let's face it, a really bad year. Mm-hmm. Had it not been for that Indian Wells-Miami back-to-back stretch where she made a quarter and a semifinal, it could have been really bad for Venus this year. Dire. And I picked Barty, who finished at 15. Although she won Zhuhai, she did have a lot of points to defend in the fall, so it didn't help a whole lot. I also picked Muguruza, which I thought was a no-brainer pick, but she finished at 18. And how about you? How'd you do? Don't, well, I also missed with Muguruza and Barty. But then I had Caroline Garcia, who ended up at number 19, and Blinda Bencic, I assumed was going to be roaring back on the comeback trail, (laughs) which she did come back a bit. She did. She's up to number 44. It's still a great comeback. I feel that maybe you are so sore from Venus's first round loss to Bencic at Australia that you predicted huge things for Bencic. No, I think it had more to do with me saying on the podcast, however many years ago now, when Bencic made the top 10 for the first time. It may have been early 2017. I said then it felt like this was one of those achievements where Bencic was going to be here mm. to stay. Like Radvanska, who's who had been in the top 10 for so many years. And then she immediately got injured, pretty much, and it's been a long road back. Right. So I kind of felt beholden to her, in a sense, to have her take take back the place that I had anointed for her. Okay. She is very young. Yes. Very young. Like, she's either 21 or 22. Not 22. She has so much time. At most 21. I do want to say something here. It might not be the right place to say it, but maybe you can offer something of your own along the same lines. But I've been thinking of all the things that we've said on the podcast over the years. Is there something that you've gotten absolutely wrong? Like, so shockingly wrong that you're so ashamed of? And there is one. (laughs) I would have to think about that. I've 
been meaning to weave this in at some point for episodes and I've been thinking about it for a while. So you're, you can okay. have yours for another time. But I remember when the Tennis Channel was sold to Sinclair that I said, I'm pretty sure I said on the podcast that maybe it's not that bad, bad a thing. Really? I don't know why I would have said that. And I don't know why you'd have sat here beside me and allowed me to say that. <laughs> it was like the most stupid thing I've ever said in my life. And right after the episode, I was like, what, 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 what were you thinking? This, I think part of it is that I didn't know who Sinclair was at the right. time. This was pre-Trump, right? It was. It had to have been. It was. But I, I didn't know what Sinclair was at the time. I didn't do enough research into it. And I'm just speaking off the top of my head. But even then, growing monopolies is not a good thing. So I retract that okay. full-throatedly now. Yeah. Lots of throat. Mm-hmm. What is wrong with you? It's <laughs> just, just such a bizarre adverb to choose <laughs> out of all of them. On this podcast, we expose our own receipts. Yeah. All right. The rankings. There are folks who made super big jumps in the rankings, and there are folks who had precipitous falls. It's like there was a ledge and there was no wind beneath their wings. They just kept on falling. (laughs) As you would call it, a precipice. Yes. They had no purple patches this season. Mm Mm-hmm. We're looking at this piece here done up by Tennis Smash, very handy, that tells us uh, who some of the biggest jumpers were within the top 100. And it has their rank at the end of 2017, the number of spots they jumped this year and their finishing rank. Thank you to the folks at Tennis Smash. Go look it up. Was there anybody on this list that surprised you as far as how lowly ranked they were to start the year? Yeah, I had forgotten how low Osaka had gotten. Because she was supposed to have kind of arrived before now, yeah. right? She's she had, still very young. She but... had stagnated a bit. She was down to number 68 at the end of the year and is now up to number five and is a Grand Slam champion. Uh, Camila Georgi was all the way at number 79. I didn't realize how far she had traveled in the space of a year up to number 26. Su Wei Xie had an amazing Australian Open, as you remember, was ranked 96 way back then and then she kind of went away for a little bit right but managed to maintain enough to finish within the top 30 she had a pretty strongish end of the year right winning hiroshima belinda bencic played a bunch of challengers and itfs last year and had built up her ranking you know inside the top 200 but that performance in australia went a long way to build her ranking back she finished at number 37 and Ila Tomjanovic, who was an honorable mention in our comeback player poll. There were so many comeback players, and I hoped that someone would mention her because I failed to. But there was just too much to choose from. She's up to number 43. Mm-hmm. Danielle Collins, who, if you remember, beat Venus in the quarterfinals of Miami to make the semis of a premier mandatory event. That's how mm. strong the first half of her season was. And so she was coming all the way from ranked number 167 last year and despite her struggles to end the year finishes at number 36. Victoria Azarenka she's knocking around there at number 51 but she started way up at 208. She's still got a long way to go. She seems by all accounts on social media just chomping at the bit to get started in 2019. Mihaela Buzarnescu like I, I really feel bad for her that when everything was going so well that she had that horrible injury to derail mm-hmm. her. She's all the way up to number 24 from 72. And then 
I mean, not that big of a jump, only 25 spots, but Wang Chung, like, she's very prominent in her mind's eye right now because of how well she played in the Asian swing. She's up 25 spots from number 45 to crack the top 20 for the first time. Now for the players who fell off the precipice, who plummeted precipitously. I don't know why you want to rub this in. You made a special section just for this. It's worth noting. <laughs> I mean, some of it was surprising, wasn't it? Yeah, Muguruza was uh, probably the most surprising. Down to number 18 from number 2. And she was number 1 at some point during 2017. Do you know that there have been only two players to be number one this year? Really? Yeah. Outside of a brief stretch uh. where Wozniacki regained number one for a few weeks, it's been all Simona Halep. Mm. And it was one of the things we talked about at the start of the year. Do you remember the, the top of the rankings to start yeah. the year? We're like, yeah. brace yourselves. This is going to be a wild ride. It's going to change hands mm -hmm. so many times. And it did not because for a variety of reasons. <laughs> well... In 2017, Venus was within shouting distance of the number one ranking. And now she's down there at number 38. Yeah. If Venus had the same number of points now that she did at the end of 2017, she'd be ranked number three. Oh. Yeah. Caroline Garcia had major points to defend in Asia and dropped down to number 19. Kiki Mladenovic, I think that was easier to predict because she had so many runner-up appearances in mm. 2017 that she just did not defend. But still not that bad, right? She's at number 43. Right. It definitely could be worse. It's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. What might be the end of the world is Coco Vandewe, who finished last year top 10, number 10, all the way now down to 102. Yeah, but Coco has the weapons to get back. Like, I, I don't think it's such a long road back for her. What's really hurtful for me is Svetlana Kuznetsova, who's down at number 107 after finishing yeah. last year number 12 and sam stozer at number 72 in making this list here i was like well let me go check what bouchard was up to i didn't quite remember where she was in 2017 mm -hmm. but it turns out she was in the exact same spot really as she is now she was ranked 81 and now she's like 87 or 88 oh and she won a cool few million dollars from the u.s open remember that <laughs> that's they, another thing that should happened they tack that onto her prize money <laughs> Yeah, had you not mentioned that, we wouldn't have even made the show. Right. That's a dereliction of duty on your part, because you well, combed through the agendas. We talked quite a bit about that when it happened. Yelena Ostapenko, what do you make of her being number 22 right now? Well, I mean, I don't think it's that that surprising. I think she could easily get back in the top 10 or stay at number 22. She had a, a few really good appearances. She had a great Wimbledon uh, I don't know. I mean, before her Roland Garros title, she was like a 30-something player for a long time. She has many, many years ahead of her. Her game is unpredictable. It uh, doesn't offer a huge margin for error. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's the end of the world. Sam Stozer, who you had mentioned her, she's down to number 72 from 41. She's reconnected with her childhood coach with with goals of resuscitating her singles career. Mm. It's been a couple of years. She's since what, 34? 33 or 34. She's mm. she's up there. And uh, it's it's heartening for me to see that she's still into it so yeah. much. You yeah. know, like she's training already. She's one of the first players to be sharing videos of her off-season workout programs. I'm like, take a vacation, Sam. <laughs> but she's ready to give it a go. Matches of the year. We're not going to sit here and tell you, like, these were the definitive matches of the year. 
these were the matches of the year that kind of stood out to us. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, they all, almost all feature Simona Halep. Mm-hmm. And I saw a poll on Twitter about matches of the year, and there were four Halep matches, and I was like, um, heller. And then I was like, oh. And then I was trying to think of, of ones that would be better. And it wasn't that far off. You know, we have Halep Kerber in Australia, Halep Stevens in Rolling Girls, and then Halep Stevens again. Stevens again. In Montreal. In Montreal. Of those, my favorite was the French Open. Because I felt like, for me, Simona's win there was was the biggest achievement of the year. I felt that conquering Sloane when she was playing that well was was the biggest like mental hurdle of of 2018. And you can fight me on that. It's fine. Like it's just my my own personal feeling. Sloane obviously got a bit tired, went away mentally a little bit, but if Simona wasn't there pushing, Sloane could have easily just slid her way into that title. I mean, that's less interesting to me as opposed to the fact that this match threw a wrench in the narratives of both these women's careers. Mm. Because up until that point, Sloane was invincible, impregnable in finals. Yeah. She was what, 5-0, 6-0? 6-0, yeah. She was making these things look so easy. Even when things were tough, they were looking easy. And it it was a mark of somebody who'd fought demons and come out on the other side for Simona Halep in that moment, sight of a tragic loss to Maria Sharapova a few years ago, mm-hmm. months after losing the Australian Open final to Caroline Wozniacki. And, and a tragic loss to Ostapenko the year before. Uh-huh. Okay, this is, it was a sight of tough losses for her, and it was a moment in her career that felt touch and go. You know, it could go mm. either way, and, and to be able to... Stem the tide of Sloan Stevens in that second set. It was it was inspiring to me. You know, mm. not few things in tennis shy of Venus Williams and Rafa Nadal for me personally. Yeah, inspire awe, and that was one of the moments of the year. That was like wow, that that was impressive. Cue the Sloan hype coming for me. <laughs> you have a uh, Kazatkina defeating Venus Williams in Indian Wells semifinal. Mm-hmm. Was it something I enjoyed? Hell no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we are both here for Kazatkin and her game. Yeah. It was unfortunate that she had to play Venus in that in that match, Indian Wells semifinal. Venus getting to an Indian Wells final and maybe winning it, that could have could have been everything mm. this year. Uh, but the, the contrast of their games, the, the Venus no-holes-barred pedal to the metal... All the all the time <laughs> versus the the artistry of Kazatkina and the the mixed bag, shall we say? Yeah, because it's more than artistry. It's athleticism. It's uh, an inventive backhand, especially. I just like what she can do on the court, and it's not like you know. I'm not obsessed with finesse, but I I just like watching her play. And while it wasn't enjoyable for me as a fan objectively having one of the young stars with such an eclectic game playing one of the legends of the sport still giving it a go full throttle it was Mm. it was compelling there's no two ways about it i want to do a segment about do you remember because going through a wikipedia our past episodes 
there are so many things about this WTA season that just escaped my memory. Let's call it Remember the Time. <laughs> Michael inspired? Yeah, of course. Do you remember that in Stuttgart, Van de Klee happened? A lot of people conspired to let it happen. Sloan conspired. did. Sloan did. Laura Ziegemund, Simona Halep, the world number one, and Caroline Garcia all conspired to let Colleen happen in Stuttgart. It is a fast clay court, indoor clay court. It's also like a player and fan favorite tournament. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's wonderful to go there. Listen, it's all she had this year. Let her have it. Wow. Because after that, she went 4-12 and 12 in singles, including eight straight losses to finish the season. She was thriving in doubles, though. She, I mean, she won a U.S. Open title in doubles, and Ash Barty won her first Grand Slam title after how many finals with Casey Delacqua? A similar story to Jack Sock, obviously, dominating in doubles. Yeah, it's it's incredible the parallel between Coco and Jack. Mm. You can use whatever adjectives you want to describe both of them as American players who are yeah, of I, a certain ilk. I don't know what you're talking of about. Of a certain ilk, mm-hmm. let's put it that way. And both kind of overperformed expectations in 2017 and both just totally had disastrous seasons in 2018 and then surged in doubles it's crazy Mm -hmm. that there's so many parallels between the two of them for better or worse right ash barty speaking of won a really tough first round match in australia against sabalenka and then in the final tournament of the year lost to sabalenka in zhuhai round robin But because of the intricacies of Round Robin, she made it out of her group and won the title. That was the very first match of that tournament. Yeah, She lost in straight sets to Sabalenka in Mm. Zhuhai and then ended up winning. I want to talk about that Fed Cup tie in Asheville, North Carolina, the site of Serena Williams' return to competitive play because the Dutch team came to Asheville and American fans thought the U.S. was just going to like blow them completely out of the water. The story was Venus and Serena. Olympia was there. Like, this was the story of that Fed Cup tie. Chad C.C. Smooth was there. He came on the he show. He reported to about, talk about, it. about Asheville. But Demi Shores, who partnered with Karakova, which I'm sure I said that wrong, uh, beat Serena and Venus in straight sets 6-2, 6-3. And Serena was clearly not even part of the way there into fighting shape it was february it was really early in her recovery do you remember when folks were like is serena gonna play australia but i mean i feel like that was crazy that was a story for the first it was three months of the year when are we gonna see serena because she told us that her goal was to be back for australia right. to defend her title and then she had what she had the exhibition in abu dhabi against ostapenko the mubadala yeah exhibition um and uh, we kept getting sporadic reports, and then she shows up in Asheville. And we don't know if she's going to be playing singles, and we didn't think we would get to see her at all. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until the tie was settled, right, that they, they decided to give the fans a show <laughs> and have the Williams sisters play together uh, in doubles. But you're right, Serena did right. not look good. But my point in bringing this up is that Demi Shores was not the story at all. Like, literally nobody was talking about her except for the fans in the know. Mm -hmm. And look what she does. She and her partner beat Serena and Venus, and then she goes on to win seven titles this year. Like, she 
becomes one of the best doubles players in the world and one of the most exciting players to watch singles or doubles there were so many people on the internet saying who is this girl right who is she and folks were like uh, actually she's very accomplished mm. if you knew anything about tennis <laughs> you would know that miss demi not last name more but sure <laughs> she is one to watch how about this throwback garbinia muguruza destroyed sharapova 6261 in roland garros this one's for Anna Marseille because <laughs> she is messy. She's not about appearances. She doesn't even want us to maintain appearances. She wanted us to talk about Sharapova's bad season. She's like, I know it's not it's not cool, but it would really give me life <laughs> if you guys would just shit on Sharapova for like five minutes. Yeah, we're not going to do that. After Serena pulled out of that round of 16 match against Sharapova, Sharapova makes the quarters and just, I mean, the match against Muguruza was ugly. It was horrible. That time when Serena was afraid of Maria? Is that yeah, what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, she was afraid. Mm. Mm. Was that before or after Maria was unbreakable or unstoppable? Uh, Which was it? <laughs> unstoppable. <laughs> she was unstoppable. That was the name of her book and she was stopped many times in 2018. Mm-hmm. You're getting petty, not me. I'm just saying she was stopped a lot of times. Oh, okay. Simona Halep beat Muguruza easily, 6-1, 6-4 in the semifinals. Madison Keys made the Roland Garros semifinals, which I keep forgetting. For and the second time, it's not the first. Well, no, that's that's a lie. It's the first time, but she had made the final in Rome a yes. couple years ago. The clay At, results doing well wasn't... She can do it. Yes. But like Ostapenko's semifinal birth in Wimbledon, I think this is a result that is getting overlooked consistently mm-hmm. when people are looking back at this season. I think in part because the match against Sloan, Madison versus Sloan semifinal, was so horrible. Like it was 6-4, 6-4 for Sloan. But I remember sitting there thinking, wow, I know exactly what's going to happen mm-hmm. in this match. It was just depressing. You knew exactly where Sloan was going. Mm-hmm. It was almost a carbon copy of the U.S. Open final from right. a year ago. It's just that Madison played better, but it was clear there was no way she was going to win. It was. It was, I felt demoralized for her. Mm. in that moment yeah do you remember when do you remember the time <laughs> do you remember any of sharapova's good results because there were uh, a couple no oh yes um no australia didn't she do well in australia she did well in one of the clay events right oh stuttgart or something madrid i are I mean, you saying this to like rub it in no i'm like her ranking is up there enough. It's 20-something. Hmm? Like, she yeah. didn't have a terrible year. The narrative on her is, is she ever going to be able to recapture some of the form consistently to get back to yeah. where she was? Mm-hmm. But where she is now is not terrible, is what I'm saying. I don't think she's poorly poised, if healthy, sorry, Anna Marseille, to do well <laughs> in 2019. It wouldn't be surprising. No, I mean... Because the through line for a lot of these quote-unquote, aging stars who are coming back for a myriad number of reasons is health. Yeah. It's injury. And Sharapova's problem this year is that she couldn't get enough matches because she was consistently injured. Mm -hmm. Like, she couldn't train the way she wanted to. She is a player who benefits from playing a lot of matches, which is is kind of the opposite of other top players, right? Like, Serena, when she was younger, could parachute in Mm -hmm. and, and find her form. Sharapova likes to play a lot of matches, and she just couldn't do it. And the thing about Maria is, when you have such a one-dimensional game, 
if it's not firing, you will lose spectacularly. Right. Like it's like spectacularly. The, the Ostapenko or Keys effect, right? When when they're good, they're really like scary good. Speaking of Miss Sharapova, this is a good point to segue into this controversial moment section. Mm-hmm. The things that had us mad this year. Half of them, I cannot even remember why we were mad. And I'm going to call you out right now because the very first one I have listed is Sharapova anointed or appointed. Appoint, uh, <laughs> it was not holy. She was in a way anointed. Appointed to fill in for Serena at the Australian Open draw ceremony. Because as you recall, Serena wasn't able to defend. She wasn't there. Right. And so somebody had to be there in her stead at the draw ceremony. Mm-hmm. And you said to me, was that really that big of a deal? I can't even... I. I literally did not even remember it. Go back and listen to our episode because we were mad. Okay. Well, now now that I'm thinking about it, why didn't Venus do it? She was the defending runner-up. We said that. Kerber was the winner before Serena? We said that. Okay. Okay, I got it. No need to rehash it. Eugenie Bouchard won uh, her settlement against the USTA. Well, it actually went to trial. A a jury voted that the USTA was 75% responsible. And Bouchard held 25% responsibility. I don't think they released the uh, the financial settlement, but... It was speculated to be, what, seven figures? What's six figures? Six figures in like... <laughs> it was in the millions. Eight figures. It was in like... Yeah, like Dorothy is like 10 million or something. Really? Yeah. Well, the, I just saw this somebody, Peter, posted this story in an Australian newspaper about Bouchard's lavish lifestyle. It was... It was what? Interesting. <laughs> She better fix up that Westmount house, though. Remember that? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, do you remember Wozniacki and the Miami crowd? Yes, I do. This woman in the crowd was identified as throwing out abusive language to Wozniacki and her family in her box. And David was, Lee's family. Yeah, it was a terrible nightmare. She complained publicly. She had James Blake kind of doing extra duty in his first year as tournament director it got very ugly where did we come down on this well see we were like totally understanding until she made this unfortunate comparison to james blake's uh police brutality claim or something like if anybody should understand it yeah it was uh, a little uncomfortable objection your honor right that doesn't take away of the gravity of what happened to wozniacki and her team which was horrible do we know where alizé cornet is well (laughs) because right here we have cornet's whereabouts yeah that was one of my favorite segments of the entire year i have to i have to tell you we did we did some research we learned yeah like the drug testing stuff is very interesting to me i liked going through her entire day and they eventually came down on her side like she was serving i can't remember was she not playing pending the investigation she was playing okay she received a whereabouts violation, and I think it was her third violation, so it would have turned into a ban had she been found guilty. And she was able to uh, state her case, and then the ITF ruled that the the testing agent didn't do everything within their power to find her. So she was exonerated. It was a really interesting look into like the day-to-day of testing mm-hmm. and how your day has to be your, your whereabouts have to be broken down very specifically hour by hour. We learned that the players have an app that they can use to update their whereabouts. Mm-hmm. And we also got a more full perspective as to just how tenuous this whole system can be for players. And how, you know, we're told, well, so-and-so missed three tests, so 
they're dodging the system, they must be doping. It requires closer inspection. Right. But we can't just assume that they're evading for a reason. Madison Brengel, again, this question of evading testing, she suffers from this pain disorder. She claims that the WTA and the ITF have not accommodated her medical condition, and she took them to court. Uh, It is still an arbitration last we heard. Our friend Michael Lewis actually reported on this during the U.S. Open. I haven't heard any updates since then about the lawsuit. I assume a lot of it was handled outside of court. But one portion of the lawsuit was going to continue through the court system. So I'm interested to see where that lands. Because it is a question of how drug testing organizations accommodate medical conditions. Francoise Zabando, when she ascended to Canadian number one earlier in the year, still like well outside the WTA top 100 and in the midst of Bouchard's big slump, right? I mean, Bouchard mm. brought it back a little bit to, to end the year Canada's number one again. But at that point, Francoise was like, well, hey, like, why am I not getting any play right now? Right. And she spoke what? quite eloquently about the fact that she feels that there is quite a bit of racism at play in terms of how she's been handled in Canadian press and within the Canadian Mm. Federation. Well, she said very plainly that I won't get that kind of attention because I'm black. And it's unusual that you hear somebody speak so bluntly about the way the role race plays in this kind of thing. It's not something that you'd probably hear about in other spaces, but given that Francoise was kind enough to sit down with us in Cincinnati Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, it's absolutely something that one fits in with the tenor of our show, and also, we are here to like give her that platform because of it. Right. Karolina Pliskova. <laughs> you'll oh, actually, we're, wait, wait, we're laughing about this now? Uh, you, well, you'll find this in our WTF moments of the year. Or what now? WTF. What the what that, fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? I think people understand what that stands for. I'm just saying in that you weren't entirely clear with your enunciation. Oh, sorry. Diction. Mm-hmm. Karolina Pliskova, after losing to Maria Sakari as you know, walked over to the umpire's chair and took a few swings at it. Took a good chunk out of it, too, while the umpire was still sitting in the chair. At the end of the match? Yeah. She had lost. She was disputing a very pivotal call toward the end of the match. And (laughs) she felt at that time that was the best way to deal with her frustration. We've coined the Pliskova lumberjacking. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's very visceral, and it captures the moment. We've come down on the side of this is just absolutely abhorrent. We've never really found the humor in it, because the the double standards that are rife with this situation are just too, too much. Well, we haven't even, I mean, we haven't talked about the myriad controversies that followed Serena all year. Since the cat suit, the seating drama, the maternity leave policy... Obviously, the U.S. Open final, the coaching, it did not stop. But I returned to this lumberjacking thing after the U.S. Open because it's put it in such stark relief. I don't want to rehash the U.S. Open final, and I have no interest in doing it. But looking back at Carolina swinging an implement at this umpire's chair and people just saying like, well, whatever. Total shrug. A lot of people thought it was funny because she's such a robotic figure. And then she was able to brand herself uh, right. with it going forward and, and laugh at it. I mean, the apology was like, haha, isn't that funny? Because you guys think I'm such a stiff, basically. You spoke about the myriad controversies with Serena. 
this year. Right. It started with with optimism, her season. Like, when is she coming back? We're all looking mm. forward to it. And then at every turn, Serena was that person, as she's been for a while now, to cause all that conversation for good or bad, for right. better or worse. Right. And A lot of it had very little to do with her. No. Like, it wasn't of her own making. The very first instance was at the French Open, where she shows up in the catsuit. Right. Which has been retroactively banned. Um, I wonder if the French Federation is going to, like, remove the match tape. Like, are they going to wipe all the videos in history? Judicelli has to be... I mean, his career has to be over at this point, right? No, it's not. No, Dave Haggerty used him for a pivotal vote in the Davis Cup. He almost was removed from the ITF board and wasn't. I'm just saying, I have He's no a fully faith. Irrelevant I have no figure. faith that these people who should not be in the sport will no longer be in the sport. We're going through it right now with Gimmelstab. Mm. Like, this is... I will not come down on that side of the fence mm. until it happens. Alizé Cornet stuck up for Serena Williams after... Cornet had her own weird wardrobe-related code violation at the U.S. Open. You remember that? Mm-hmm. And she actually mentioned Serena's name out of nowhere, saying it was so unfair what Judicelli was doing to her. One of the things that, that came into, into very bright focus this year, very clear focus, was just how cemented Serena is within society and culture mm-hmm. outside of tennis. Because whenever one of these controversies occurred we got a lot of folks outside of tennis going to bat for her in ways that wasn't always helpful to the discourse of the actual matter at hand uh ivanka trump tweeting in support of serena to be seated in grand slam tournaments that was unwelcome there was the catsuit there was the seating issue because she was coming back as the best player to ever play the game you know, right. her last tournament played was winning a Grand Slam, being number one. Like, where does she play? Like, she was, she brought so many issues to the fore that would never be talked about if it were anybody mm. else. And everybody had something to say about it, including Ivanka Trump. Right. I uh, I don't want to get, like, too dire here, but I'm really, I'm really happy to let the season go. The U.S. Open did a lot to just kill my buzz it really shook my passion for this sport for a while like on it really did and i don't want to think about it anymore well we've made a choice to not speak about the u.s open on Mm. this episode and we feel that we can do that one because we've let you know about our biases if you listen to the show you should be able to understand why (laughs) we're not gonna (laughs) go there you know but i think we did for our own mental health i'm getting there okay but also we're able to do that because we went to great lengths and put a lot of emotional and physical effort into doing an episode that was was so granularly focused on the many issues at play with that incident at the U.S. Open that if you're looking for a recap of that, you can go rehash it there. Just scroll through mm-hmm. our episodes, you can find it. It's, was it like multi- multiple things are true, Oprah shrugged Jeff. <laughs> that was the title of the episode. Go uh, go listen to that. But we're not going to get back into that here. I think we gave it a good honest try. And uh, clearly you can disagree with what we said. But that's it. Peng Shui was banned by the Tennis Integrity Unit for apparently coercing her doubles partner, Alison Van Eitvank, 
to drop out of the Wimbledon doubles so she could play with someone better. This was truly one of the wildest <laughs> stories of the year. It was we were in Cincinnati when this when this happened, yeah, right? This, I admit this was not on my radar at all. Folks were in the press room like I was not waiting for this. Folks in the press room were like, say what now? What happened? (laughs) This is like some mob shit. (laughs) Basically, Pung found out that somebody better was available to play. I think it was Sanya Mirza, Mm -hmm. right? She was like, hell, Sanya's got Grand Slam titles. She's been doubles number one. I want to play with her. Alison Van Eidvank, after the fact, after this story broke with... Precision, in her words, made it very clear, yes, I was that yes, bitch. It I is me. was the snitch. It is she. My integrity will not be questioned. My mama taught me better than that. <laughs> <laughs> and I am going to diss you on the internet. Listen, I, listen <laughs> I am already a lesbian on this tour. I'm not going to have you think of me as a cheat wrapped up in all this mess. Right, right. Like, shit's hard. Sibulkova, remember the seating drama? This is Serena tangential. Sibulkova lost her seed, basically, because Serena was pushed into the seeds. Sibulkova was number 33 at Wimbledon, and she made good on that number 33, making the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. She did. It did feel like she really had a point to prove, like she was pissed. Sibulkova did not have a good year in terms of having good looks. For somebody who is all about the good looks on Instagram and social media, her on-court looks were very bad this year. And the worst look of all was at Wimbledon when she was playing, I believe, uh, Sue Shea. Mm. And there was some dispute about a call. And Shea went to the chair and was arguing. And then the umpire, was it Jenny, Jenny Zhang, I think was the umpire? Yeah, yeah. She changed the call. It was a call that needed to be changed. Right? It was one of those mm. calls that was plain as day, even to us watching on a small screen. Yeah. And there's no way as a tennis player that you don't know that that's, that's the case. And Sibylkova then says, you know, oh, this is all messed up. Like she goes and talks to her in whatever language or Chinese or whatever. Mm. And then she goes and changes the call, right? It's that oh. classic insinuation, always by white players, that an umpire and a player who speak the same language are or are the same color, mm-hmm. are the same latent from the US, same place, that they're colluding mm-hmm. against you for some reason. It never it never turns out mm. nice. She is from Taipei, and Zhang is not. But then they, she lumped them in as being both like Chinese or something. You know, they were, you know, that white, that thing that white people do. Oh, the Chinese. They're speaking Chinese. I think she said Chinese or whatever, <laughs> to be precise. I mean, it's so ignorant. It's so <laughs> ignorant. But then the doubling down was when she was like, well, you know, I've had stuff go against me that was wrong. The bottom line is the umpire is there. They should stick to their call. Even if it's there. Even if yes. Even if it's wrong. It was egregious because she basically admitted that she was very wrong and she was trying to get one over on everybody. It was a it was a Hawkeye thing. Like the point clearly needed to be replayed. And she admitted, yeah, I was wrong, but the umpire has screwed me many times before. So now it's my turn. It was <laughs> pull up your socks, Dominika Sibulkova. Mm. We've had a few comebacks in 2018, as well as a few retirements. We ran a poll on our Twitter about favorite comeback of the year. So not necessarily what you thought was the most accomplished, but your favorite. I offered the choices of Serena, Vera Zvonareva, Rebecca Marino, and Belinda Bencic. But there were so, so many to choose from. Serena won in a landslide. Zvonareva had 20%. Fabian 
our loyal Twitter friend, asked, did Marion try to mount a comeback or was that a fever dream I had? No, Fabian, that was not a fever dream. Marion Batoli did promise that she was going to mount a comeback. She felt that she could compete at a very high level, that women's tennis had not advanced, in her words, since she won Wimbledon in 2013. We saw her at tiebreak tennis in March, I want to say. Yeah, she played Serena. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't look great. No. I don't mean physically. She didn't. She just didn't look great. Like her game wasn't great. But she was steadfast. Unfortunately, she's decided that she has these lingering injuries that have not allowed her to train at a high level and are going to prevent her from coming back. And I'm kind of mad about it. I was really looking forward to oh, this yeah. comeback. Yeah. Vera's Vonareva, she's all the way up to number 111. Rebecca Marino, after having been off tour for however many years, mm-hmm. four or five years. For like five years, played her first tournament this year. Didn't have a ranking. And she's all the way up to number 190. I just listened to something with her in Canadian press where she's saying one of her goals at the start of the year, which she didn't want to talk about at the time, was to maybe by 2019 be able to get into Australian Open qualifying. And she likely will. Mm. Belinda Bencic, obviously, we mentioned. Isla Tomlanovic was nominated for the WTA Comeback of the Year Award. Bethany Maddox-Sands, after that ghastly injury. At Wimbledon last year, Mm -hmm. she made it back to the tour. Our listener, Michael Wilson, nominated Kerber, which definitely, we mentioned that earlier. Our other listener, Lakshmi, voted for Gasparian. Hello. Yeah. Like, there are too many to mention. They are. Also, I mean, that's why we have the write-in function, because Twitter only gives you four choices for the poll. Right. (laughs) I wish there were more. We also had a bunch of retirements. I was enjoying Patty Schneider's comeback. She has, after this season, called it quits again. Mm Mm-hmm. And after playing Maria Sharapova at the U.S. Open, which she seemed to really enjoy Mm -hmm. and good for her. It was a match that looked to be very one sided and lopsided. And then Patty was able to make it interesting in that second set. A few that really hurt me were Francesca Schiavone and Casey Dell'Acqua. I was really bummed about those. Casey because I didn't quite see it coming and Francesca because I knew it was coming. Roberta Vinci also retired. Another Italian, Karen Knapp. Annabelle Medina Garrigues, who won a ton of clay titles. Like, won Palermo, like, a thousand times. Olga Savchuk, she called it quits. Patricia Marie Tig and Bojana Jovanovski, she retired as well. And then there's Annika Beck, who hasn't played since 2017 because of injuries. She's mm. retired to go and pursue an academic life. She's going back to school. Oh, good for her. And the mother of them all... Agnieszka Radvanska. We talked about this in mm-hmm. a couple episodes before, maybe last episode. It was it was something that was potentially coming. Like the ranking was at 28 last year at the end of the year, down to 73 or or 70 something this year. Godspeed, Agnieszka. She's going to be a hotelier to the stars. She's going to derail Airbnb Poland. <laughs> One of the things of 2018, too, is like, again, Serena, <laughs> I always think back to going to the Rogers Cup for one of the very first times and taking the shuttle to the event. And the the one of the volunteers is running this little quiz. Mm-hmm. And they're going to give you a hat. I got a hat. I don't know where it went. Oh, my God. I want a hat, too. You did? Not Maybe not the same year. Maybe I gave you my hat. Go on. 
I'll tell you about it after. So I won this hat, and the question was like, who are the two mothers at this event? And it was something like Casey and uh, Sybil Bammer, maybe. But I knew it, and I got mm. it, and I won the hat. And and I thought about it like, wow, there really isn't much scope for these women to have both a life as a mother and a tennis player, especially at the highest levels. And I mean, I don't want to lay all the credit for this at Serena's feet because women have done it since, but like the, the discourse surrounding it has been heightened, especially since Serena gave birth to Olympia. This year we saw so many WTA players either, I mean, they didn't even retire because of the pregnancy. They were like, well, I'm just going to have a baby. And everybody's like, yeah, probably seen a couple of years right. or a year and a half, you know? <laughs> Vika did it before Serena, obviously. Mm. Serena, then Sanya Mirza, she's already had her baby. Elena Visnina had her baby as well. Uh, it's 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 different times. These are ever-changing times for the WTA. <laughs> Big news for those of you who subscribe to WTA TV in the U.S. There, It's been a turbulent few years with finding WTA matches both online and on television. It's been damn near impossible to find it on TV depending on where you are. But subscribers of WTA TV in the U.S. will be receiving a prorated discount if they have prepaid their membership because in 2019, all of that stuff will be housed by Tennis Channel. So they promised, supposedly, that between their linear and digital platforms, that they're going to be offering the same matches via Tennis Channel. The WTA streaming service will not be available to subscribers in the U.S. It will continue in other countries, just not in the U.S. Which makes sense, but sucks. Like, again, it's it's not really fixing the problem of being able to get all your shit in one space for folks who yeah. already subscribe to WTA TV. Mm -hmm. But I get it. <laughs> right. So Tennis Channel will show premieres, internationals, and WTA finals. The big networks will continue to house the Grand Slams in the U.S., and this deal gives, it's five years and it gives Tennis Channel exclusive rights to streaming for all of those tournaments, which is a huge deal. So I hope they hold up their end of the bargain. In terms of what? Like, I hope that those matches are indeed streamable. Okay. That the product is actually good, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Are you ready for your quiz? I guess. It's going to take people by surprise if they don't read the liner notes ahead of time. The, the timestamps. Mm-hmm. I'm giving you a WTA quiz here, and then you will in turn quiz me on the ATP rap episode. Yeah. Okay. And you're sure you haven't cheated and looked at the paper? I don't cheat. I never have, never will. Okay. So I've got four players here. Be prepared to take notes if you're, well, James. Take no are you serious? You can take notes here. And then if you're at home, get your pen and paper out. It might help you. I want you to match these players to their win-loss records in 2018. But, <laughs> you're joking. You know, I'm people listen joking. to this on the train. I Okay, well, they maybe people have photographic memories or like <laughs> really strong listening memories. I don't know. Mm. So I've got 20 and 11. I've got 14 and 14, 18 and 6, and 17 and 11. Mm -hmm. And the players that I have here... There's Serena, there's Radvanska, there's Sharapova, and there's Venus. Okay. Uh, Serena's 18 and 6. Sharapova's 20 and 11. Venus is 17 and 11. You're and, such a piece of and shit. And Radvanska's 14 and 14. How did you get that right? 
I I don't know. I mean, I, the Serena one's easy to figure yeah. out. Yeah, because thought... you think about how many tournaments they played. Okay, but why Venus at seventeen and eleven and not Sharapova at twenty and eleven? Because I knew I just for some reason I knew Sharapova's record. Mm, okay, Petra Kvitova led the tour with five titles. Where did she win them? All of them. Yes. Uh, Doha, Saint Petersburg. Um, I want to say like Madrid. Then one of the grass tournaments, um, Nottingham. And then I I don't know the last one. So you got three out of five. It was Birmingham. Oh. You were right. It was oh, a grass shit. tournament. We yeah. said it on the episode. We mm. just said it. And then she won at home in Prague. Oh, right. So Madrid was the right clay tournament. Yes. Okay. Two players won both singles and doubles at the same event in 2018. Can you name them? Oh, my God. Um, probably not. Nope. One of them is should be very self-evident based on what we've Ash been talking about. Ash Barty? Oh, I bet Elise Mertens did it. She did. Well, I already said Barty, so I wasted a pick. Okay. So, so I'll give you half for that. <laughs> you get two-thirds, three-fifths for the previous one. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Elise Mertens did it twice, actually. Mm. And the other person to do it in Shenzhen at the start of the year it would be it would surprise you i don't remember i don't remember shenzhen simona Halep. oh okay she won with begu for her first doubles title of her career all right eight players won their first ever wta singles title how many can you name oh my god (laughs) uh well i know osaka Uh uh-huh buzarnescu uh kazakina this is hard Think about it, man. Yastremsko. Mm. Uh, Wang Chong. One of them is somebody who I picked to break out this year, I believe. Didn't quite bust all the way mm. through, but did win one title. Oh, I feel like Sabalenka is one of them. Yes, right? she is one of them. Um, what about Sasnovich? No, did she win a title? She did not. So I've guessed seven. I have one guess you have left. One guess left. Okay, I can't think of anyone else. <laughs> so the ones you missed were Danilovich, Krunich, and Tatiana Maria. Okay, I never would have gotten those. Question number five of ten. Of, oh, <laughs> oh, this is only five? Oh, shit. Four players defended a title in 2018, one of whom did it twice. Name that player. Svitolina. Correct. The other players who defended titles, in case you're wondering at home, mm. Elise Mertens in Hobart... Sorenko in Acapulco and Kvitova in Birmingham. Oh. How many of the WTA top five leaders and aces can you name? Um, well, I think it's both Pliskovas, Gurgis, maybe Barty, and uh, I I don't know. After that I don't know. Serena? Serena? <laughs> Had she played a full schedule, maybe? Kiki Burton's, you got four or five. Bur- oh, really? Number wow. one is Gurgis. Two is Karolina Pliskova. Mm. And three is Burton's, which may surprise some folks. It yeah. surprised me. Mm-hmm. Four is Christina Pliskova. And five is Ash Barty. Now, okay. if you look at matches played, Christina Pliskova has a much higher ace ratio to matches played than Karolina does. 
like by a mm-hmm. wide stretch. Yeah. I think Carolina played something like 50 matches and Christina played 30. And the gap between them in terms of total aces is not that much. And Carolina is thought of as like the ace queen on the on the WTA right now. And really, Gerges had a huge lead. Mm-hmm. Well, girl, you just got to win more. Talking to Christina. Question number seven. Who mm. made the most WTA finals in singles this year? Oh, um, <laughs> that's a good question. The most finals? With six. Simona. Why do you say Simona? I don't know. Because I'm tired. Well, you're correct. Oh. <laughs> Two players led the tour with a combined singles and doubles titles tally of seven. Who were they? Mertens. And... Oh, I've got to think about... It. Oh, and Shores. Duh. She won seven, seven doubles titles. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> Whose season is this? Whose season? What Whose you... season is this? Oh, I thought that was the only. This part. player won one title, made three other finals from the one that they won. They didn't make a semifinal, in terms of losing at the semifinal stage. They made two quarterfinals. Their record was mm. thirty-seven and nineteen, and won five million sixty-eight thousand and ninety-nine dollars. That's a lot. Of wins. Sloan Stevens. Correct. <laughs> I feel like that one was pretty easy. Right? Well, yeah. Was and it's it? it's the money that she won so much money. I was like, <laughs> okay, that has to be a big title and big finals. Again. She secured that back. Kudos to Sloan because given where she was at the start of the year, she was not pressed. She was not worried. And she came back and followed up her summer run of 2017 with... I don't want to say even better things, but things that are just as good in different ways. She diversified her portfolio mm-hmm. in 2018. <laughs> yes. Number 10. This oh, one's, it's not done? No. Number 10 is called one or two. Question mark. Okay. Which players won one singles title and which players won two? Okay. There are five of them. <laughs> okay. Kazatkina, Caroline Garcia, Parmentier. Wang Chang and Muguruza. Okay, Kazatkina won two. But you didn't tell me if I'm right or no? No, because that might influence oh. what you say for the others. Kazat- who's next? Caroline Garcia. Garcia won one. Next? Parmentier. Parmentier won one. Uh, Chong, two. At least. And she the- won the Asian Games. And then that doesn't really count. Okay. <laughs> it's not a WTA title. That's what you mean. And then Muguruza. Muguruza. I'd be surprised if she won a few matches. Uh, I'm going to say one. You got three of five. Oh, God. That's not really good. So Kazatkina won one title. That's it? Yeah. Moscow? Mm-hmm. Garcia won one. You got that correct. Okay. Parmentia won two titles. Mm, I'm not surprised. Chung won two. And then Muguruza won one. You were correct in the okay. last two. Okay. So let's tally this up and see how you There's did, There's going to be a lot of fractions involved. That's my fault. <laughs> I'm going to pause for a second. There'll be no gap in the listening experience, but I'm going to pause right now. You did pretty damn well. Really? Yeah, you got like 8.2 out of 10. Okay. If I did my quick fractioning. Mm-hmm. In Canada, that's an A. Yeah. In the U.S., it's a B. In the... <laughs> but see, in the U.S., like, you give ribbons and shit for everything. So, like, it really is bad if you get 8 out of 10 in the U.S. Because everybody gets an A, right? 
Uh, no. That's not how it works? No. Oh. Well, it's been a long time since I've been back. I'm just saying since like, I've been in school. I'm just saying like I'm just 83 saying. in Jamaica growing up would have been like not the end of the world because it's like really hard. Oh, I don't I think see. it's the same. No, 83 I would have died. Exactly. That's what yeah. I'm saying. A little bit of perspective here. Okay. Recently we solicited your help in choosing our TBS moments of the year. Uh, our take on WTA awards and I know there have been a lot of awards mm-hmm. floating around. We didn't want to do like player of the year kind right. of stuff, you know, the run of the middle stuff that's been rehashed. So, uh, well, no, no, well, we got to give props to where the moments idea came from. Mariah. Mm-hmm. So which moment are we talking about so first? Funniest moment of the year. And these are our choices, by the way. So those of y'all who don't agree can submit your own. <laughs> <laughs> or just deal with it. <laughs> my favorite moment, my Favorite funniest moment and pettiest moment of the year is when Serena and Venus played Maria Jose Martinez Sanchez in doubles at Roland Garros. And Serena went up to the umpire before the match started and said for everyone to hear, including the TV cameras, can you tell her that when the ball hits her or hits me that the point is over? Because she doesn't seem to know that. This is a years-long grudge. Referencing an incident in 2009 when Sanchez got hit by the ball and refused to admit that was was really an allusion to a previous incident with Justine Anna in 2003 where Serena felt that her opponent cheated, failed to own up to something that everybody saw. For If you're doing the math at home, that's nine years for Maria Jose and 15 <laughs> years for justine like this is not somebody who suffers fools lightly that tickled me that pettiness directed at maria jose made me cackle this is her first slam back after giving birth she's mm-hmm. wearing the you know she's dealing with the cat suit stuff she's she's got a lot on her plate well and sanchez was making a comeback of her own actually mm-hmm. so <laughs> this is this was <laughs> I just can't, I can't even... There was... <laughs> this is why she's great, I guess. You know, like the singular things that you have to focus on to keep yourself going. <laughs> have at it. Right. So that didn't win. I didn't have enough characters to explain the moment. It didn't on the win Twitter poll, on the poll. Our Twitter poll. It won with you. What won in a landslide was Sloane's marvelous way with words directed at her coaching box about Pavlyuchenkova at the US Open fucking bitch tried to hit me incredulously walking back from the net (laughs) oh my god that gave me life that was a very close number two moment for me (laughs) it was so good i loved it wozniacki imitating nicolescu's grunts this was a controversial pick some people thought that it was extremely disrespectful i assert that it is both funny and extremely disrespectful but i will continue to laugh at it Wozniacki goes up to the chair and is like, sometimes she's like, and then sometimes she's like, (laughs) it was bad. Like it was such a bad look. And then Monica trashed her afterwards saying it it wasn't the kind of behavior that you expect from a world number one. It was just so ugly all around. But let me tell you, I laughed. And finally, Naomi Osaka's acceptance speech in Indian Wells was a whole experience. Mm-hmm. So for you, obviously, it's Serena, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I 
I'm torn. Like, it has to be a tie between Serena and Sloane for me. Because <laughs> while I admire the the how long Serena held on to that and waited for a moment, maybe she even just entered doubles to maybe get that moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. There's something so just in the moment about Sloane's response that mm. speaks to me. <laughs> right. WTF moment. So the choices were Kanta beating Serena with the loss of one game, Yastremska retiring on match point versus Puig, the Pliskova lumberjacking, and the catsuit backlash dragging on. The lumberjacking incident won with 47% of the vote. Mm-hmm. I was surprised. You were? Well, I get, maybe the rest were kind of niche picks. I mean, these are, in theory, listeners of our show, and we've kind of gone on and on and on about it. <laughs> What would you have picked? Well, I probably would have picked the same thing. The Yastremska thing was so hilarious to me because it was so petty. Refusing to play the final point in a match and letting your opponent have their their victory Mm -hmm. was shocking. Um, The The Kanta beating Serena thing wasn't funny because we knew that Serena was... The whole family was going through something serious at the time, but it was just a shocking result absolutely stunning i mean that's what this is that's what wtf right, is like right, what right. the hell is going on these are like what and then the catsuit drama i thought that would get more votes because it was just so insane that it dragged on so long that every single player was asked for their opinion on it and so many of them offered just utterly uneducated opinions <laughs> <laughs> i guess it Belying a lack of a formal education. Right. It is WTF, but it's not surprising. So I would go with Pliskova as well. We did have a couple of write-ins. Mm-hmm. One from Michael Wilson, Some who really said, quote, When Queen Pam Shriver hustled across Arthur Ashe Stadium to get the Patrick interview moments after the final and got him to admit he was coaching. That was that was an MVP Truly, moment. Truly. It was. I would say that Pam Shriver is doing journalism better than almost anyone uh, i i think that patrick's words are the true wtf moment yeah because he had the choice to be the bigger person yeah or to cede the spotlight to naomi who was accepting her accolades in that very moment like literally and in the same second and he decided no i'm gonna take this for myself and embarrass my player at the same time i think he was shitting his pants i thought he thought this was the right thing to do to rectify the situation really? little did he know well that he was really digging himself even was deeper really bad it was awful but kudos to you pam you hustled <laughs> yes and thank you michael for that wonderful suggestion we have two more one being ivanka trump tweeting in support of seating serena from aaron and then we talked about that earlier. Mm. And then Sabalenka flinging her water bottle at ball kids as though they were slaves. Those are the words of Daydreamer at Daydreamer AUS. Indeed. We talked about this rather briefly because there were so many horrible examples of player behavior directed toward ball kids and volunteers mm-hmm. around the same time. But yes, that was a, a particularly ugly one. It's not been a good year. For the treatment of the workers on tour. For player-ball kid relations. No. Or you did that moment. Capital T-H-A-T. I mean, this was an easy category to to design because there were three first-time 
Grand Slam winners. Yes. Like this road itself, right? Each with specific good feeling narratives and overcoming right. And obstacle. sort of demons that they yeah. conquered and all that. So Wozniacki obviously winning Australia, Halep winning the French, Osaka winning the US Open, and then I added Sabalenka's breakout toward the end of the season. I mean, you could also have just kept it at four, kicked Sabalenka to the mm. curb, and then put Kerber in there. Right. All four slam moments. Yeah. For me, it was always going to be, it was Halep for me. And I, I voted for Halep too in, in my own poll. But Osaka won quite handily. Yes. And that is a valid choice. It sure is. Feel-good moment. Why don't we finish with the feel-good moment? Because there are a lot of mixed feelings about this season for me. Rebecca Marino's comeback, starting the year without a ranking, playing her first tournament in five years, finishing within the top 200. She slogged it out in Futures, ITFs, Challengers. Like, she I believe put she in started the her year in Turkey. Mm. You know, you st- you're coming back after five years and like, I'm going to go to Turkey to start. Like you said, Kerber's Wimbledon win is another feel-good moment. Someone coming back to play the kind of tennis that we know they can play, sitting her ass down on the baseline and thwacking <laughs> passing shots like she does. See, this is what, this is what we did. We, we put Kerber in this other category. Because in truth, a lot of these categories have overlaps, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. Petra winning five titles, that is another feel-good story of the year. Absolutely, yeah. And I will say, I forgot to mention, one of my favorite matches of the year was Petra Serena at Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Partly because we got to see it in person. It was the most competitive match that I've been able to watch Serena play yeah. live. It's and uh, it was it was so exciting. There was a lot of great tennis from both players. It was, but I also told you at the time, and I may have said it on, on air, I when I'm watching matches like that in person, I can't get a as good a grasp of how good it is mm. as when I'm watching it on TV. Yeah, yeah. So I, I couldn't even include it in matches of the year because I really don't know if it was that good. I got the sense at the time it was kind of kind of like you take a set, I take a yeah. set. There are a few points here or there, but it, it definitely didn't rise to like the tension of a great thriller where it may have been portrayed on TV. I don't know. I don't know how much mm. we're influenced by that sitting in the living room as opposed to on right. site. Who did you pick for this? I didn't pick anyone. We actually didn't do this poll online. Okay, but you can still pick it. I didn't ask you what did they pick. I said, oh. what did you pick? Um. Well, I can't very well pick Kerber because she beat Serena, right? <laughs> I would probably pick Simona winning Roland Garros. That was not one of the options. Oh, it wasn't? What is wrong with you? Pay attention, man. Was Nieki winning the Australian Open, Rebecca Marino, her comeback, Kerber winning Wimbledon, and Petra winning five titles? Fine. I'll pick Kerber. I pick Petra. Okay. Lest we forget. I where... would have picked Petra if she performed better at the Slams. I don't care. Okay. Like, we were just talking a year ago about, like, will she ever play again? Right. It's such a great feel-good. It's the it's the epitome of feel-good for me, uh-huh. for her to come back and be able to do something like this. We I started to craft another category, disappointing season or dis- disappointing moment. And really, I couldn't get past Venus. Uh, and I so see, I just scrapped. I see you only have one entry I there. just had one, and, and that was it. <laughs> Here's to better days in 2019 for all of our faves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, thanks for sticking with us this entire WTA season. It was not always easy. There were some very difficult moments. There was always some mess around the corner. Yeah. For every triumph, there was a disaster. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. 
That was very abrupt. My name is James. I'm at Elliot JMR on Twitter. Two L's, two T's. The show is on Twitter at The Body Surf, same as Instagram. Thank you for listening. Look out for ATP rap episode that'll come out probably within a week or a few days of this one. And then we'll go on hiatus. We'll go on. Maybe we'll get three weeks off. (laughs) Maybe. Before we're back to start it all over again. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.